Football is about the Jimmys and Joes and X's and O's. Blue 58! Blue 58! Check New York Bozo! New York Bozo! 28, Baker Bruce! It's time to get out the chalkboard and diagram some plays. Here's where it all starts right here. Let's play! G-Money Christmas! What the hell's going on out here? This is Inside Football with former Colts and NFL coach Rick Venturi. Hey, welcome back again. Inside Football with Rick Venturi returns. I'm Matt Taylor, and we're on to week two. Up next for the Colts, it's a trip to NRG Stadium down in Houston to battle the Texans. And just like last year, it's two AFC South games right out of the chute for the Colts to start the season. Time to welcome back in Rick, who has nearly 30 years of NFL coaching background to give us some knowledge today. Rick, we're on to the Texans. There's no doubt about that. But I know for you, the loss of the Jaguars last week, it was both encouraging and disappointing at the same time. So let's start first with the encouraging part. What parts of last Sunday's game against the Jaguars, right? You're right there. I mean, you're up 21-17 late in the game. What parts were the most encouraging for you in week one against maybe the best team in the AFC South? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that there were some really encouraging things. It, it, you have to start uh, with Anthony Richardson's performance. I mean, you know, he showed us, to me, what he can be. I mean, the 40 yards rushing, I mean, that was tough sledding. He did a terrific job both on designers and, and basically ad-lib plays, extension plays, and we know that's there. As a matter of fact, at some point, I think he's going to have to take care of himself a little bit because he's such a tough, gutty runner. You know, I mean, really and truly, even though play he got hurt on, my God, he looked like a fullback down there inside the five. I think more impressive, though, to me, and this is what I'm most pleased with building on, uh, and I think you have to give Shane some credit on this, you know, the 64%, the 24 for 37 in his starting game for a guy that everybody's questioned accuracy and all that. I mean, to me, that's a little bit ahead of schedule. That's 10 points higher, 10 percentage points higher than he had in college and really 20 percent higher than he had in the preseason. So, I mean, I think when you put, you know, the tremendous athletic skills together with that quick development here, you know, throwing the football, that's got that's got to be my number one encouraging point i thought downs now he didn't touch it very much but in the two plays the one play he just showed what he could do he just he turned that linebacker i call it a jerk route you know why i call it a jerk route you make the (laughs) other guy look like a jerk like a jerk get out of town (laughs) (laughs) you know he broke his ankles on it he had that linebacker on him and he just broke his ankles so yeah i think you know i think we're going to be fine there and I think, you know, Granson continues to be really, really consistent. I thought on the Pittman um, screen pass, uh, I thought that both Granson and Ryman just did great job. I mean, I, I wasn't sure at the time which guy it was. I knew it was a 70, but, I mean, he was running downfield, leading away. It almost turned into like a punt return. I mean, right. Granson kicked it out, <laughs> right. and then Ryman came running right down the middle, and Pittman followed him right down and then bowled into the end zone. But, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I thought those things were really, really good on offense. On defense, I mean, you got to start with Buckner. You, you and I talked about it in the roundtable. I mean, this was a hat trick. You don't do this very often. You get a sack, a forced fumble, and a touchdown on one of the most bizarre plays in NFL history. But, you know, give Buck credit. He started out with an impact sack, you know, and hit on the quarterback. Uh, number two, Franklin was absolutely terrific. I mean, 
the 18 tackles are legit. I mean, they're almost all first hits, which I go on. Uh, you know, and then, I mean, honestly, he had the presence to strip that ball. I mean, every single person stopped on both teams. I mean, the guy's just <laughs> casually picking up the ball. He thinks it's an incompletion. And here comes Franklin. He's just 100 miles an hour, knocks it out, and it ends up being a touchdown. He is truly their leader. He's not a cheerleader. He is really, really a leader. You know, and then I thought that, you know, our corners actually battled pretty well. I don't blame all of them for those catches to Ridley. A lot of that is a schematic. But I, I thought they really hung in there for, um, uh, you know, basically for playing a really good outfit. I mean, the Zay Jones catch is one of the best catches we'll see ever. Yeah. I mean, that was covered. Those guys made a couple really good stops on third downs. So, you know, kind of along with Richardson, that was kind of a plus on questions we had. The other guy I think always just gets underrated is is – uh, his speed. I mean, I just thought that that fourth down play, he just showed what he can do. I mean, he jammed it up, made the tackle. He's very much like Franklin, just two physical, physical guys. And I was really happy to see Quiddy get the sack. I thought in the third quarter, you know, our defense really took over, particularly up front. Yeah. I thought we were dominating that third, that, that you know, that 15 minutes in the third quarter, we were just dominating, and he just put them. It wasn't really a move. It's where we, and I don't mean this off color. Uh, we refer to it as a hump move in that he goes to power the tackle, and then he just takes his inside shoulder and just kind of hump, just kind of push it, you know, just kind of throws him with power. You know, Reggie White used to do that all. That was his, you know, that's where the name got its way. And then he made the sack. So, you know, all those things that I just mentioned, you know, for me are really, really encouraging things going forward. All right, then on the other side of things, the disappointing aspects, the, the 14 points uh, only yeah. scored on offense, right? I mean, it's been well chronicled. You're 3 for 17 on yep. third down and fourth down combined. That's less than 20% on your money downs. Uh, the Colts ran – they ran four plays or fewer on 11 of their yep. 14 offensive drives. The offense failed to pick up 10 yards on 10 of those drives. And then after the first drive of the third quarter, that was the Pittman touchdowns, a great way to start the third period. But then after that, the Colts had five straight possessions that ended with no points and no first downs and only 16 plays. So what else needs to be tweaked starting this week in the uh, disappointing category? No, you're you're right. I mean, 14 points we just know is not going to make it. I do think we would have scored um, if Richardson doesn't go out on that last drive. I really do. You know, I mean, the worst thing at all of all was the three for 17 on third and fourth down. Now, you know, because that makes or break you in the NFL. But I think most the thing that was most devastating was missing all four fourth downs. And I don't, I don't second guess. I would have gone for every one of them. I'll be honest with you for for reasons that I believe in. But the most devastating was the inches play. You know, I mean, if that, you know, because that could have changed the whole complex, you know, and when they got in that push formation, just felt like they were going to get it. I just thought they hurried, you know, too much. I I thought that was devastating. I I think the biggest thing that disappointed me, and I don't want to put it all on them, but, you know, our outside receivers, with the exception of the screen pass and our running backs, really are, if if you lump those guys as skill players, we really just didn't get anything. We didn't even get a hundred yards out of those guys. And so, you know, if that doesn't if that doesn't improve, if they, as you say, tweak, then Richardson's going to be neutralized. He's just going to be neutralized with numbers. Uh, I thought our offensive line protected pretty well. 
they still had a little bit of trouble with stunts. The Gotsik sack was a was a stunt, a delayed exit, as we say. I did think that we have a danger zone, though, and we have we've had this before, and I'm not sure why it isn't fixed. We did have a lot of free blitzers in the game. Now, AR AR5 actually did a terrific job against the blitz. He didn't flinch. Uh, he completed balls. He released the ball. He never really got sacked on a blitz, to tell you the truth. Um, and so, but that's got to change because eventually they'll get you. And you said it: too many non-drives. I mean, you know what that led to at the end of the game, which probably does have a little effect on the defense. I don't, you know, I fight it, but it, you know, it was a seven-minute difference in time of possession. And you know, in a game like that, that you know, it, it, particularly an opener, that can matter. And then Anthony, you know, he diminished a little bit in the fourth quarter. His two, his two worst plays came on successful plays. He had Granson over the top, you know, not over the top, but over the, the the middle, and he just missed it. And then he came back, and he, you know, Campbell baited him with cover two into that interception, and that was kind of the end of the road. I mean, once you know, once they got a two score lead, then it was very very difficult. And he had more trouble. What I noticed is he had more trouble with cover two than anything. Just wasn't as clear on it. So we got to clean that up, you know. And then on defense. You know, some things, you know, and our defense played magnificently for 25 minutes in the middle of that game. I mean, they had a, mm-hmm. you know, they they had two sacks, uh, you know, they had a, a touchdown, um, you know, and they stopped the fourth and in inches. But at the end of the day, we talk about this all the time, you know, as Lombardi says, fatigue makes cowards of us all. You have to overcome that. We've got to bull it up, and we got to stop points in the fourth quarter. Albeit half-field touchdowns, you know, they were able to drive the one ten play drive, and they got it through the red zone. Again, so, you know, 14 points in the fourth quarter, we got to clean up. You know, also the three for three, they had three for three in the red zone. And then 75% completion against. Way too many easy completions on the scheme, just pitch and catch. Mm-hmm. We really have to improve that. And the only reason that I bring those up is those are things that we said we knew we had to fix. Right. You know, and as of week one, we haven't fixed it. That doesn't mean we won't do it. But, you know, I think in that sense, you know, we have to fix those areas. We cannot continue to do that because all those games are going to come down to it. And I kind of said this before the game, you know, that, you know, when you have a when you have like two things, if you have injuries or if you have a young quarterback like we have, it's not just on him. I mean, the rest of the team has to play good. I mean, you in some respects, in the fourth quarter, you do have to play like the 85 Bears. I mean, you you know, you have to do those things. And I'm not saying that they're easy, but it's just things that we, you know, that we have to really get done. And, again, I guess the whole picture, we for seven innings, you know, we played right with them. If anything, we were probably the better team and we were gaining the momentum. Sure. But we have to, we just have to learn how to play those last two uh two innings i think you know and you and i talked about this i think we agree on this agnew's punt return just turned the whole game around i mean at that Mm -hmm. point you know even though we go three and out which i kind of questioned that series i felt like we came out we ran two inside runs yeah and i'm like are we just are we just stalling here you know and then when we punted it he just turned it around they should have had the ball at the six yard line if you cover that correctly well you know he it's really funny and i've read i read the accounts and i saw it he points Almost like it's a half-ass fair catch, but That's what right. he's really doing is pointing to his own players. The old, 
you know, I He's don't know what you them. guys use, mm-hmm. Peter, 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 get yeah. away from it. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden, the Coles guys got away from it. Matter of fact, Jonesy turned his back on it looking for something else, you know. And all of a sudden, you know, he's pretty cagey. He picked it up and went. And then, you know, that changed everything. And, and you know, we were battling, but they hit the fourth and two. They did a really good – they took us to school on that one. They got in spread, got Zay Jones on Franklin, which is nothing he can do about that. That's just a mismatch. And they converted that fourth and two. And then the second one, you know, the second one was the the bad interception. And it just seemed like – just seemed like – what was it, 75 seconds? It just seemed like it happened – I mean, I still got a sore back. I was so tense from watching the game. I just all of a sudden it just drained it right out of me in about a minute and a half. So yep. again, a lot of encouraging things. We just have to clean that stuff up. Yeah, the Colts were up twenty-one seventeen to down thirty-one twenty-one in the blink of an eye. Yeah, the Jaguars scored two touchdowns there. I think you're exactly right. I think it was a minute and six seconds of football time. So that's the margin of error in this league when you're playing a great team like the Jaguars right out of the gate. All right, then, the beat rolls on. It's on to week two mm-hmm. then, Rick. Uh, up next, a trip to Houston to face off against the Texans. They were losers in week one as well. They fell to the Ravens 25-9. to And if you look at it on the big picture here, the Texans are the fourth team since the 1970 merger to have a different head coach to start four straight seasons. So if you go back to Sunday, uh, they didn't muster a touchdown on offense, only three field goals. Uh, rookie quarterback C.J. Stroud uh, got the start, the number two overall pick out of Ohio State. And just like the Colts as well, they have a rookie head coach in D'Amico Ryans who comes over from being the uh, defensive coordinator with the 49ers. He's a former Texans linebacker, has the franchise record for uh, tackles in a career there with the Texans. They traded up in the draft, uh, picked up their linchpin on defense. That's Will Anderson Jr. We'll talk more about him in just a second. He got a sack last week on Lamar Jackson. They look a lot different at the skill positions. Uh, they made a lot of moves in the draft and in the offseason. Dalton Schultz is there now, Tank Dell. Uh, but just like the Colts, Rick, they're fresh. They got a new head coach, a new offensive coordinator. They've got a rookie quarterback. What else do we need to know about the Texans going into this game on the big picture yeah and I'll, you know i'll get into this i mean it's a dangerous game we're already the favorite i mean you know which is you know a little bit crazy it is a little bit not crazy uh but all i remember is this team we were you know look, basically looked the same going into both games last year you know and at the end of the day they ruined our season at both ends both the front and the back i mean i look at them like you know this is a team that can ruin it if you're not careful you know, and you know, and I also, and this Mike, it's the coach in me that'll never go away. When I always got ready to play a team that didn't have very good statistics, what I always put together was a tape that showed all the good plays, and assuming that this is what this team could be on this day, mm-hmm. not necessarily what they are seventeen Sundays, but most NFL teams have enough players on one day to be pretty good. And I think that's the danger zone here. You know, they've got a new coach in DeMarco Ryan. who's really, you know, he was a great linebacker. You know, he brings uh, kind of the San Francisco motif uh, to it. He, they're going to play, you know, we got them early here, so they're going to play with great energy in mm-hmm. their home opener. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And as you said, the system works. You know, they're they're in a rebuild probably like Jacksonville was three, four years ago, you know, but they were able to get two key pieces, their quarterback, like him or don't like him, and then an impact rush guy in Anderson who is the real deal. Uh, Bobby Slowick has taken over the offense, 
and he also comes. He's a Shanahan disciple, so this is kind of, you know, this is kind of San Francisco light or San Francisco, Texas version, whatever. But, um, you know, they have some assets. Uh, I have great respect for Pierce. I think Pierce... I think Pierce would just be unbelievable with a great offensive line. I mean, he's impressive. I mean, Matt, he runs angry. I'm telling you, he runs angry. Yep. I don't think we saw him because I think he wasn't starting yet, and then he was hurt for that last game. But yeah. I've seen a lot of good tape on him. Even in 12 games, he had close to 1,000 yards and a 4.3 on a terrible team. Uh, he's got a lot of yak when he catches the ball. There's a ton of yak. I think he he can give you a hell of a game. Uh, Collins is emerging as you know, kind of that big power forward receiver, um, that X receiver, not super fast, fast enough, but big and physical uh, on the outside. You know, and then you know you have Woods, the veteran, uh, who's a very classy possession guy, and between him and the the Schultz acquisition from Dallas, they've got a couple guys that are you know can play in the slots and have roles on third down. Um, so, you know, now they've got a big problem. Their offensive line, we'll get into this with the exception of Tuncel, really is a patchwork quilt right now. They've got injuries. They're throwing guys together. There's no continuity there. So that's right. kind of their Achilles heel, you know. And then on defense, they're going to be improved um, under under DeMarco. There's no doubt about it. And they're going to shark what I call shark the ball. They're They're going to get 11 to the ball. And I think where they're most dangerous, and I'll get into this specifically, you know, is Anderson and, and Greenard and Jerry Hughes. Those are the three edge guys that they can rotate, and these guys can get to the quarterback. That's why it's so important to just bang them away and run right at them and, you know, keep them out of those things. Uh, I think they got two really good linebackers in Paris and, and Harris and Perriman. Those guys are tackling machines. Petrie is just an emerging star at safety. He's kind of a guy that does a little bit of everything. And then uh, they released Desmond King late, and so Thomas has taken over the middle. Yeah. You know, when I look at him, oh, they're you know they're very basic. Uh, he is a you know Demarco is a disciple of Robert Sala, the head coach of the Jets. They were together. He learned the ropes, coaching ropes from Sala. You know, Salah is also a disciple of Gus Bradley. But when you look at their team, they're they're basic, they're sound, they are pretty predictable by down and distance. And then I think they got a couple potential uh, re- uh, return guys, and obviously Tank Dell, and then uh, Boone, who's their third down back. So again, as I as I throw those out there, and I'm not I'm not trying to you know create something that isn't there. If you put all those performances in one day. And they can protect the quarterback because sure. that's really important. If he's protected, he's so much different than when he's under fire. Uh, you know, all of a sudden, that's that's a formidable outfit. All right, then let's uh, talk about the blueprints and let's first roll out how the Colts can slow down the Texans on offense. Again, they only mustered nine points on Sunday against the Ravens. And they're going to look a lot different this Sunday compared to the last time the Colts saw them in Week 18 last year. Offensive coordinator now is Bobby Slowick. He was with the uh, 
49ers with head coach D'Amico Ryans in San Francisco the last couple of years, primarily serving as the 49ers passing game coordinator. They've turned the offense and the franchise over to rookie quarterback C.J. Stroud, who finished his career at Ohio State with a record of 21-4, and a two-time Heisman Trophy finalist, two-time Big Ten Conference Offensive Player of the Year, and a two-time Big Ten Quarterback of the Year. And last week became just the second rookie quarterback to start for the Texans in Week 1, Finished his first game against the Ravens. He was 28 for 43 for 242. No touchdowns. Did lose a fumble. And as you said, you love this guy, Damian Pierce. He's back at running back after suffering an ankle injury in week 13 last year. Runs very, very hard. Uh, finished his rookie season with the 13th most rushing yards in franchise history and the most by a Texans running back since 2019 with almost 940 yards on the ground. And the Texans also picked up former Cowboys tight end Dalton Schultz, who ranks fifth in touchdown catches among tight ends since 2020. And as you said up front, they're really banged up along the offensive line. They got some problems up there. Titus Howard, Kenyon Green, and Juice Scruggs, all of those guys are out for the first four games of the season. Uh, they have injuries, and they are on IR, so they are going to miss Sunday's game with the Colts. So what else stands out to you about the Texans on offense going into this game against the Colts? You know, in, in getting ready for the blueprint, I, I think it's pretty kind of interesting to see exactly what Sloic has brought, what part of the Shanahan offenses he's brought. Um, and I think you can see it right away. Now, they're in a lot of 11 personnel. They're in a lot of uh, three wides, and it's like you said, it's either Brown um, or Dell who becomes that third receiver. Uh, a lot of 11, but what they were, they're different than most anybody you'll see and this is the Shanahan effect, there's a lot of two-back offense in there. Now, sometimes it becomes one-back because their fullback is a multi-guy, kind of a half a tight end, half a fullback. His name is Back 47. And so there's a lot of two-back true, like 20, I call it 21 personnel. And I haven't seen this much, I think, since 82 when I started. I mean, a lot of two-back offense which means a lot of zones, a lot of a, a lot of uh, powers, and then what a two-back offense quarterback under center does also is it really enhances the play action. If you think of Shanahan, a lot of bootlegs, a lot of you know play pass overs, boot half roll, throw back, all those things that are really big things in the Shanahan offense. Um, you know you're going to see those, and you have to be ready for that. Know what the receiver roles are. Again, I talked about it. You know, uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, they got a bank board receiver in, in in the big guy in Collins, and then they've got classy underneath guys in Woods in the tight end Schultz. Uh, their third wide receiver is there. They've got some catches, but nothing special. Um, and then I think they're I think they're as good as Pierce runs the ball. To be honest with you, Matt, I think. If Pierce is running the ball and he's at that four five to five zero, they they can be they can be a good team because then they can take the pressure you know they can take a little bit of pressure off the off the quarterback. Also, just be alert that Singletary will come in. Actually, he played more I think than they wanted to. I think Pierce had eleven eleven carries. He had seven, and Singletary is the ex Buffalo guy who really is more of a loose, just the opposite. When he's in there, you got to be ready for the edge. You got to be ready for loose play draws and screens uh, to him. But I think those are the critical things. And then know the kind of quarterback that we're facing. 
And, you know, I will say this to you. You know, he is a guy, they picked him second for a reason. And basically the reasons are this. He is a very accurate and catchable thrower. If he's able to play out of the rocking chair like he did at Ohio State, he can make all the throws. He does not have a shotgun. Now, he does not have a, a howitzer back there, but he is very accurate with it, and it'll be catchable. He's a decent athlete, not a great athlete. He's not in the, you know, Anthony Richardson, uh, Lamar Jackson, um, you know, beat you running with his feet. But he has avoidability. He, so far in the preseason in the opener, when he scrambles, he kind of likes to spin out to his left. And so I, I think you got to be ready for that. He's not a stiff in the pocket, but he suffers with pressure. So my blueprint, you know, basically – uh, in terms of stopping them, all right, the first must is we have to dominate the line of scrimmage. This is a patchwork quilt in the offensive line. They're going to want to run it more than they throw it. They'll they'll throw it if they get behind like they did last week, but they would like to run it and take because it's a lot easier to run the ball with an offensive line than protect against everything. I think it's really important that our front seven play the whole game like they did the third quarter and dominate the line of scrimmage. It's about Pierce to me. You've got to stop Pierce in the running game first. And I look at him as a beast. I really do. Regardless of the numbers, I think if he played if he played on the 49ers, no telling what his yardage would be, and then be alert for Singletary as the changeup, more finesse and loose play. you got to take away the run. If you take away the run, then they become stressed everywhere. Again, something unique to them, and I, it doesn't scare me because I grew up in it, but a lot more 21 personnel and quarterback under center than anybody in today's game. I think the second thing is a little bit like last week. I don't think these guys are as good as last week. I know they're not, uh, but Collins is a big power forward. You know, he had six catches for 80 yards, 13-3 in that opener. Uh, you know, he's the big guy. They they want to isolate him. They'll get a little bit. They'll try to do the same things with him that Jacksonville did with Ridley. That is put a strong formation to one side and work him weak. They like to isolate him weak. I will say this. If he gets to the slot, he's there for a reason. He's there to get downfield. And then Woods is very classy, particularly in that, that, that money down on third down in those possession areas, and then I, I think you got to be alert for Schultz down the seam. Um, but I think this, again, and, and I, I want us to do it more, I just want us to do it more, and that's crowd and deny these guys on release. You know, take away those first quick, easy throws. This is, a, you know, they're a little bit like Jacksonville, with the exception of they don't have Ridley, is they are good receivers but they don't have speed. They're not burners. And so they're the kind of people you can really, really crowd. I think you need a bit of a game plan situationally for Woods because they're going to try to get him the ball. They'll stack it, bunch it. They're going to try to get him in critical downs. And then there's one thing you really got to be alert for. If they're second and long or third and real long, they just wear out those quick screens to receivers. It's almost like okay, we're just going to take a shot here if we can right. break it. If not, we're going to punt, you know. But they just, more than anybody, it just seems like it keeps happening over and over and over. Um, number three, got to take away their third down offense. And this, 
this is where I think they're predictable. On third and like one to five, you know, when they're not run, when they're not running it, a lot of those mess route shorts, bunch routes, snags, you know, all cross and rub. So you got to really be able, if you're in man coverage, you really got to be able to sort those things, those releases, and you always want an extra guy to trap that inside so that they just can't run away from people. Then on third and medium, and that's that to me is the money. Do you hear me talk about that? Third and four to seven is the money down. You know, third and two is offense, third and eight plus is defense. But in the middle, it's money. It's who win that. And basically that ball is going to Woods or it's going to Schultz in those areas. And those are the two guys you have to take away in those situations. They're going to get it on third down. On long yardage, they're either going to push it down to the stick, say it's third and ten. They're going to get something that gets Collins down about ten. And if not, he's going to check it down, or they're going to quick screen it. It's one or the other. But the key down you have to win, I keep saying this all the time, is that third and four to seven. That, that's, that's the swing down. That's the money down. And, again, that is Woods and Schultz. I think number four is going back to the very first premise. We have to dominate the offensive line. Except for Tunsil at left tackle, they really are a combination of backups and inexperienced players. And even the veteran Mason, who is their starting right guard, he's very top-heavy, and he has always struggled with movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, number 74, Jones, has started at left tackle. He finished at, he's at left guard. He finished at right tackle, and he's a guy you want to get after. He struggles. Uh, he's overmatched. You've got to get after him all the time. And I think this is the kind of team that you've got to know. You've got to bring that fifth guy, and you've got to run line stunts because what's really difficult, and we know this ourselves, even with now experienced guys, it's very difficult to pick up line stunts. Those are things you have to play together. There has to be continuity because it's all about a physical feel. It's not – it's not you're not looking at it. You have to feel the text game, the exits, and so when you're when you've got a bunch of patchwork guys in there, there's no way they're going to pick up that stuff. So, I mean, I think that's really important. Now, fi- fifth and finally, you ha- we have to dominate first down. Let's frankly, that's why it goes back to stop and Pierce and the deep ball, and we have to get we we've got to force Stroud into a disadvantage game. This kid has played his whole college career in a rocking chair. And his, his performance, even going back to Ohio State, he has, it always has diminished under pressure. You know, he, he's a kid that he, if, he can, if he can sit there, if he doesn't have pressure, he really has accuracy. I think that's consistent. But his, his percentage goes from like 68 lifetime to like 30, 32 under pressure. So we have got to dominate with that front seven and create havoc and then Bradley has to schematic get after him and ruin his day because again, you know this is a guy that when you know if again if he's able to sit and stay in rhythm, he's a problem. But I think you can force him into big mistakes if you get the pressure on him. All right, then let's talk about the Texans on defense again. That's Rick Venturi. I'm Matt Taylor. This is Inside Football. Let's talk about the Colts' blueprint to move the ball on Sunday against the Houston defense. That unit now guided by. Defensive coordinator Matt Burke, he is uh, entering his 20th season coaching in the NFL. Last year, 
was with the Arizona Cardinals as their defensive line coach. Texans moved up way in the draft uh, in the first round. They went two and three, respectively, uh, grabbing Stroud. And then at number three, it was Will Anderson out of Alabama, third overall. And that front seven, Rick, very it's it's deceptively good in my opinion yes. with Anderson, Malik Collins, yeah. Jonathan Grenard, Denzel Perriman, Jerry Hughes, the former Colt. He's now kind of a rotational piece late in his career in year number 14. Uh, but in the secondary, Derek Stingley back for year number two. And they have a pair of really good safeties, Jalen <laughs> Petrie, uh, who they drafted in round two last year, and then Jimmy Ward, who comes over from the 49ers. But both of those guys are banged up. Um, it's uncertain if they're going to play on Sunday. Petrie suffered a bruised lung in the second quarter against the Ravens last week, and then Ward didn't play last week with a hip injury. So what else stands out to you about the Texans' defense, and how can the Colts take advantage there and score more than 14 points on Sunday? Yeah, a couple things. And, you know, I, I really like your observation, and you're giving them credit for talent, and they have it. You know, I, mm-hmm. they, whenever I watch the Texans, and I said this a year ago, and I'll say it again, is when I watch them, I think they should better than be better than their stats are. I think they have enough talent to be better. I think what has killed them over the years, Matt, is they never get an advantage situation. They're always, you know, they're always behind early. They're they're always on their heels, and, and I think I think that affects them. And it it scares me a little because I think they're potentially better than they look on paper. I really do. And the two things, even back with Lovey, that they've been able to do is they've been able to play good. Everything else is awful, but they've been able to play decent in the red zone, and they've always been able to get turnovers. You know, They got five turnovers against us in two games, and that was the difference. It wasn't, it wasn't that they stopped us in yardage or anything like that, but they got five turnovers in the course of those two games, and they made the difference. I would say, number one, because I'm always big on don't let their top guys beat you. I learned that from Bill a long time ago. And I, I think it starts with the edge. I mean, the kid from Alabama is for real. He got his first sack Sunday. It didn't take him long. You know, but this is a kid with 34 and a half sacks out of college and, and, and 58 and a half tackles for loss. So let's, let's respect this guy. This guy can play. Andrew, Will Anderson can play off the edge. The guy they got playing again is Greener. Greener didn't have a good year last year, but go back to 21. He had eight sacks, number 52 coming off the other edge. And then, of course, Jerry comes in and swings him, always seems to play well against us, and he's got like 66 career sacks. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in those three guys who are in rotation, you you don't want to get behind an account because they can come and get you. I also, I think they're inside guys. You said front seven, Collins, Rankins, and Hinnish, you know, all pretty good. They rotate. And Perriman and Harris I like, you know. Uh, Petrie, again, it will be a big help if he's not there because he really is a playmaker. Same thing with Ward's experience. And I like the corners. I mean, you know, I think Singletary and – I mean, not Singletary. I, I think Stingley, <laughs> Stingley and Nelson are more than presentable. I really do. So, you know, I, now they're, they're real predictable. You know, they're a little bit like us and they're a little bit like the Jets and, and all these people that come out of that one family type of thing on first down – you almost know it's single high. Uh, Mike, Mike Homer always used to say, Rick, I always look for always and never. Well, this is about as close to always as you could be. I mean, they're going to play you zone three deep or man three deep on first down. Now, they will bring a fifth guy. They, they run a lot of what I call cat stunts. 
that is single stunts. Like they might bring the nickel off the edge. You know, they might bring the safety off the edge. They might bring the wheel backer off the edge. They're mostly edge stunts. And they, what they do is they're trying to disrupt your running game. And five-man rushes with edge pressure are good against play action. So you see a lot of that on first down. Now, where they're a little bit different than our people is they will then all of a sudden they will all of a sudden go to more coverage on second down, and they play a lot of cover four, which is quarters. They play a lot of cover eight, which is quarters strong and roll up weak. Um, you know, they will on first down. Now, they didn't show it much last week, but I saw them sneak into it in the preseason games. They will get into a little bear, and you know it's a copycat league, so mm-hmm. we, darn, we darn sure will see it. And then on, thir- on third down, they're not exotic, but they'll give you a lot of coverage, a lot of man coverage and match coverage. And then what they do, what they like to do on third down is they like to mug their, their Mike and Dime. You know, they, they'll, they'll, get, uh, they'll get Perriman up there and Harris, and they'll walk up in the nose gas. I call that a double mug. And then from there, they'll deal. Sometimes they'll come out. You know, sometimes one of them will come out. Sometimes one will come out, and they'll bring guys off the edge. And that's about as exotic as they get. But that, that's what they try to do um, in, terms of, uh, in, in terms of their overall defense. I think blueprint-wise, right, first thing we got to do is we got to pound their front. Okay, we have got – to establish the run. We can't go into this game and get 25 yards of rushing. Now, they haven't shown as much bear. I, we have to be ready for it because it's a copycat league. I mean, they're going to look at that tape and say, man, you know, Jacksonville shut off that running game with this. Uh, let's really emphasize it. Uh, but we have to, you know, we have to be able to do some gap blocking, whether it's their three technique and over or whether it's the bear defense, got to do some gap and pulls, uh, got to lead through there with our tight end, some wham plays, but we have to establish that run. Just There's no doubt in my mind because we have to keep their edges quiet. You know, again, expect a five-man bear, and they showed it, and, and obviously stretch him with Anthony. There's no question about that. If Anthony stretches the edge, uh, obviously it should open up everything else. It did not last week. But we can't stop trying. We have got to open it up, and I think schematically we have to change a little bit with the gap blocking rather than inside zone blocking. Joe Wright's talked about that the other day. If you zone, if you just continue to zone block that bear, they're going to stuff you because you're not going to have any place ever to run inside. So stretch him with Anthony and pound him inside. Number two, they're very vulnerable to play action for two reasons. Number one, if you want to take your shots outside, this is the time to do it because on first down, what did I say before? You got one-on-one. Now, the corners are pretty good, but eventually Pittman and, and, and Pierce have got to show up for us, and it's not catching five-yard balls. That's not going to do it. It's got to be pushing the field deep, and we've got to be able, and Shane's got to be committed, that let's trust Anthony. Let's go after people on first down because you're going to get that on the outside. The other thing you can get, because Harris and Perriman are just trained to go to the ball hard. I mean, they will fly to the ball. And so hard play action on first down, and you're going to have that second level there over the middle. So there's two types of play action, hard play action Mm -hmm. over the middle, quick play action, and take your shots deep. 
but you want to do that on first down. All right, when in doubt, as far as the passing game, attack the strong side. Attack their strong corner all day and always have the number two receiver freeze the strong safety. Now, the reason I say that, they very seldom close off the strong side of the field. In other words, they almost never, always and never, they almost never play a cover two. Now, Jacksonville did, and they were effective with it, but they had shown that before. That wasn't new to them on second down. This team plays more 4-3-1-8, and eight. and 8 is essentially a weak side role. So what all those things have consistent in their, in their makeup is the strong side is one-on-one, no matter what, even no matter what the rest of the variance is. So when in doubt, you want a real strong side attack, very little cover too. Okay, go to number four, let's protect the edges. I mean, they've got impact guys that you know can get to the passer, Anderson, Greener, and Hughes. Don't let them beat us, whatever it takes. Our offensive tackles must have their big boy pants on. I think we have a lot of faith in those two guys now, but they're going to be challenged here, particularly if we can't dominate first down. And then if anything becomes problematic, from a coaching standpoint, we've got to be ready to help those guys schematically. But number one, we cannot let those edge guys beat us. Going into the game, they beat us with something else, they would beat us. But we know going in, that that is the strength as far as playmaking of their team. Then I think number five, I said this last week, but I think it's even more important this week, we got to create explosive plays, okay? Uh, we got one last week. We got a 39-yard touchdown on the screen. We got to think touchdowns, not first downs. And that's not just in our offensive design. It's in our players. I mean, if you're a ball carrier against this team, you bust through their moss, take it to the house. This Last week was the second-worst tackling team in the National Football League. Right. This team was and still is, last Sunday, the worst perimeter tackling team in ball. So this is a team that you want run after contact and you want yards after catch. This is a team that you can and must generate big plays in space. All right, Rick. As you said, on paper, this seems like a – you know, a game where it's it's very winnable for the Colts. Maybe you could say the same thing for the Texans uh, based on how they feel. But then the reason I say that is, you know, these two teams have some similarities. Rookie head coaches, rookie quarterbacks, new coordinators. Uh, both teams struggled uh, running the ball. The Colts got 25 yards from their running backs. The Texans got 53 uh, both teams struggled on fourth down plays. Both defenses struggled inside the red zone. Uh, the Jags were three for three inside the red zone. The Ravens were three for five against the Texans on Sunday. So I don't I don't care if the Colts are favored or not. I mean, this game is still going to come down to what we talked about at the very beginning. Fourth quarter, um, it's going to come down to red zone. It's going to come down to third down. And the Texans, they still have enough personnel-wise yep. to change the game if you let them. And this was a team who... The Colts didn't beat last year in two matchups. Despite them winning only three games last year, the Colts did not beat this team a year ago. I know a lot has changed since then, but this is a very important game in Week 2. I know it's still early in the season, but a very tone-setting, important-type game for the Colts on Sunday down in Houston. 
Yeah, super well phrased there. I mean, and that, that's why, you know, as I said, you know, this is a team that ruined our season both in the opener and in the finality. I mean, they, they ruined both ends, and we went in with the same mentality in terms of perception. Okay, in the end, I think it's a very dangerous game for those reasons and because they're going to be really fired up. And, and again, this is the most important game on the schedule. You know, regardless of those possession, of, of, of those perceptions, as you said, we struggled a year ago, and they have enough game effectors to make it tough. Again, they're going to be really high energy. They're going to be really high energy for a while with DeMarco as the coach. And we not only have to match that, you know, we have to supersede it and take it right to them. They'll be ready, but they're the type of team, they're going to be ready early but if things, if you hit them in the mouth and you just take it to them, don't wait. Go after them right off the bat, aggressive in play calling and play. Yep. And they're the type of team that their will, it will diminish because they're so used to losing. So, I mean, it's really important that we hit them quick and never let up. You know, and I, but again, you said it best. This team has, the Colts have to come to grips with this. The NFL game is 60 minutes. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon, and it's not just about the start, it's about the finish. Mm-hmm. You know, it's time for all of us to stand up. It's not just about Anthony. It's about the supporting cast, offense, special teams, and fourth quarter defense as well. we got to recapture this division. We came close to getting one last week. Now we've got to go get one. And I think the one thing that we don't want, and I think it's a perception now, but I don't want to trickle it into the team. This can't be thought of as a rebuild. Starting Sunday in Houston, you know, this has to be a, a return to greatness in the division. How bad do we really want it? And to me, I've always said this, the future is always now in the NFL. It's not three years down the road. No doubt. You know, when Anthony becomes a veteran, it's right now. This is winnable. Go get it. Absolutely. Rick Venturi right there inside football week number two. And that'll do it for this episode, this podcast, breaking down the Houston Texans. Rick, the information was great. Good to have you back per usual. Have a great rest of your week. Watch some more tape. Get some more X's and O's in that head of yours. And uh, we'll get ready for a road trip uh, down to H-Town this weekend. We'll see you on the Big Bird coming up on Saturday. All right, good man. I can't wait. Can't wait for the trip and the game. Absolutely. Going down to Houston. The beat rolls on for the Colts inside the AFC South, trying to get one in the division after they were 1-4-1 in divisional play in 2022. Again, that's Rick Venturi. I'm Matt Taylor. That'll do it for this week's edition of Inside Football, giving you everything you need to know on the Colts' opponent. We'll do it again next week, week three, getting you ready for the Baltimore Ravens. But in the meantime, stick right here on Colts.com and the Colts mobile app and the Colts audio network for everything you need to know. For week two, Colts and Texans, we'll talk to you next week on Inside Football with Rick Venturi here on the Colts audio network. So long.